Welcome to the IPX True North Podcast, where we connect people, processes, and tools. Today, we have Brandy Taylor, the Director of Program Management at IPX, and Eddie Kolsar, the Chief CM2 Architect, and they're going to be discussing about export compliance and why it's a crucial implementation all businesses, big and small, need to think about. Hi, everyone. My name is Brandy Taylor. I am the Director of Program Management for IPX. I have a background in engineering, but I have recently spent the past about 10 years or so working in change management and program management. Eddie Kolasara, Chief CM2 Architect, background in engineering. However, just like you, Brandy, I evolved into configuration management, and I found that export controls are requirements. Therefore, I kind of really got involved with export controls and documented those as requirements for the product as well. So quite a lot of experience in that as well. Awesome. So going to be talking about export compliance today and how that kind of pairs with CM2. So to start us off, because not everyone might know what export compliance is. So Eddie, would you like to start us off with just explaining what that is? Well, export compliance has to do with the import, all the activities with import and exporting of goods, services, anything that's got to go across border, let's say the US, you know, domestic versus foreign. And anything that is imported or exported is subject to the regulations of different agencies for each one of those transactions. Well stated, Eddie. You know, I think if you plan to have a global footprint, customer or supply chain, even in the smallest way, then expert compliance is a factor of consideration when Mm -hmm. you're considering change to your product or technologies. So it really should be part of your change process to understand the total impact of the change. Absolutely. Even if you're domestic, you got to take precautions because your product might end up beyond our borders. Let's say it goes into a foreign because of the end user. There are typically two areas or agencies that people refer to, and that's the ITAR and the EAR. ITAR being the International Traffic and Arms Regulations. Uh, The second one, EAR, is Export Administration Regulations. So knowing those regulations really helps with the requirements for your product. You're going to have to know where you're shipping them to the end user and such. By having those requirements, you'll limit yourself in any kind of risk down the road. So the other thing about the regulations is they change quite often. So to your point, Brandy, knowing and understanding those or having even people in the organization understanding that, anytime we make a change, we got to see if there's any impact regarding the regulations or if there's any regulations that impact our product. It's a two-way street kind of. So you mentioned two different organizations, I guess, the ITAR and the EAR. What are the differences between those two organizations within export compliance? In a very simple form, I'd say the ITAR, you're looking at more classified or even dealing with the government defense, armed forces and such. That's very basic. When you deal with EAR, there are some military grade levels in there, but I'd say primarily it's commercial use. It's think everything else other than the military and government agency stuff, keeping it at a high level. Absolutely. Okay. So that makes sense. So the two kind of main players within that, you have to kind of follow their regulations. Mm -hmm. So we've got to have compliance with everything that's going goods and services going out of the country and everything protecting the businesses. But how does that look? Because you're the chief CM2 changement architect. So Mm -hmm. how does export compliance kind of, what do they have to do with change management? Or what does export compliance have to do with change management? That's actually a very good question because often people think it's just two different things. Within configuration management, per IPX and CM2, 
we break configuration management into various levels. We have change management, release management, records management, and a primary element of those is requirements management. So when I think of a product, anything that we're producing, anything we're servicing, there's a product that we provide and there's requirements for that product. So when I think of requirements management, I know that the regulations are external requirements that we must meet. So you might have federal level, you might have state level, you might have local level requirements. Those are all external requirements that we need to comply to. So when I think of export compliance, that's one of the agencies that we got to look at as far as ensuring that our product meets external requirements. So requirements management is a subset of configuration management and the whole change process. Yeah, well stated, Eddie. I agree with everything you just said. I guess the only thing I would add is, again, like you said, requirements flow down is just so important. And understanding that on the front side, include you know, along with your design requirements, I think is really important. That way you have that proper visibility throughout the whole value chain. Absolutely. It can vary. Export controls isn't just product. We got to look at logistics, right? So the logistics team's got to understand that too for shipping, labeling your product. And don't forget, when we speak of transfer, we can't think of just product. We can get into what we're sharing as far as information in the dialogue, you and myself on this call right here. If I <laughs> communicate anything to you and hypothetically you're in a foreign country, that would be an export because I'm sharing detailed information regarding the product. So we've got to be careful. It's not just the product itself. I think that's a really important point is it's also technology, it's communication, it's all of those things you need to be really mindful of that, that no one who is not allowed to have that information has it. So I think it's really important that companies can make sure they have protection and procedures in place to separate the two as needed. Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned technology. I think the most important thing is our data and our IP. So we need to make sure that we have that or understand the classification of our technology and our IP because that's primarily what we share. Ultimately, that technology and IP produces our product, which ends up being shipped. However, all that information associated with the product is just as vital to understand the export controls on that as well. So obviously, big companies have to be really vigilant with their export compliance because they're shipping all across the world internationally and on a regular basis. So with small businesses, though, do they need to worry also about export compliance? You know, that's a very good question. And I don't like to think about worry, but I like to be aware. Okay. How about aware? Let's be aware of what we're shipping. Okay. Last thing I want anybody to do is be afraid of it, right? Let's be aware of it. So no worries. Understand what your product is. Understand where it's going. Understand the functionality, the end user, I might've already said, the destination. Okay. Even if you're shipping domestically, ultimately, what is the end use of it? We've got to be aware of that, okay? So even in a small company, understand your product in regards to the regulations. If you need any help, there's plenty of help out there that can help with the classification of your product and your technology. At first, looking at the regulations, it might be quite complex, but once you narrow down what your product is, I think even smaller companies can get a really good handle on their export controls and have a nice little plan in place. Yep, I agree. I think the product classification is really one of the very first and primary things that small companies really need to understand. You know, I think 
you know, just understanding that and learning how to classify your products can really help you decide if you need a license, if you don't need a license, and or if you're an exempt from a license. So another thing that I think is important is you can always ask your customers for a documented use statement, for example. So that way your product can be properly classified and taxed appropriately. So that way you don't have to be making those decisions alone. Absolutely. Good point. Work with your suppliers, work with your customers so you have a better understanding, right? Not only that, there are third-party people that can help you with that, but don't rely on them entirely because ultimately you are responsible for your own product. But these other agencies, these customers and suppliers, they can absolutely help you with any kind of classification of your technology and product. Absolutely. So I'm going to assume, and we all know what assuming can do, but you would correct me if I'm wrong. There are probably some pretty hefty penalties if even for small businesses, if they're not following correct exports compliance. Is that right? Oh, yeah. There can be, yes. One thing you don't want to do is knowingly violate any of the regulations, right? That's, that can be really challenging downstream if any kind of fines come around. Now, you can also do voluntary disclosures if you want to. If you discover you may have done something, if you've shipped something that you shouldn't have to a certain region or location. Voluntary disclosures, they don't waive you of anything, but there'll be likely lesser penalties regarding that. The main thing to do, folks, is make sure you have a plan in place and follow your plan. And two most important things about having that plan to ensure you're on the right path is, Okay, you need to have your plan. Know your product and your technology, have it classified or you know, classifications determined on those. And secondly, record keeping. Keep records of all your information, any transactions and everything like that. Much like the IRS, you know, you have receipts to prove any kind of expenses. Well, in transactions regarding export controls and export compliance, have those records. That way, if should anything occur, you have that data readily available. Yeah, I think, I think it's really important too, Eddie, is, is keeping records for all of the decisions that you make throughout your process with regards to export. So I think keeping it for the duration required is also important to understand that per your regulation. I believe EAR is five years, for example. Yeah, check each agency what their required retention of records are. Some people like to keep them indefinitely, right? But however, you know, over time, things change. Right. So always be up to date on the regulations. I don't want to say daily they change, but they change often enough that we want to be up to speed on those. There might be changes in retention. There might be changes in classifications and such. Just look what the requirements are. There we go. Requirements. (laughs) What's the requirements for record retention and just follow that? That was a good point, Brandy. Thank you. So with all this compliance, Bigger businesses most likely have the budget to bring someone on who can guide them within this. Because I know you said there are third-party people out there that can help smaller businesses. Besides the third parties that can help smaller businesses, what are other ways that these smaller businesses who can't bring on a specific person for export compliance, how can they stay on top of all of what it takes to be compliant with exporting things? So small organizations being aware and being compliant. There's tons of resources out there. A couple I would recommend is your state resources. There are state websites. I actually, believe it or not, I just saw it today in California. I looked on their site regarding export controls and being familiar with those in the Small Business Administration website. And also the federal. The federal website has plenty of that. And if you don't want to go surfing for all of that yourself, 
Heck, you can even reach out to IPX. I mean, we can help you with that. There's other organizations that can probably help you with that. But there's also communities. Check your social medias, your LinkedIn and such. There's plenty of it out there if uh, you happen to know what you're looking for, right? Just anything you're looking for, it's easier to find if you're just kind of out there surfing. It's a little more difficult. But ask the questions. They'll be answered. I guess I would add, you know, one small recommendation from my perspective is for small companies, you know, if you don't have the need per se, or even the ability to have a dedicated, let's say, export compliance officer, I'd recommend that they designate someone who can act as one when needed, or even a team or a small team of designated individuals that are trained in export compliance that are positioned within various disciplines. So they have a cross-functional view. That way, that group can represent the full understanding of the laws and know how to use the law to the benefit that the company for the company as best as possible. So from my perspective, the team's goal is really to minimize the impact on the company while maximizing the efficiency of the compliance efforts. So I think these designated subject matter experts really should be responsible for establishing, implementing, and enforcing you know, the company policies and procedures and guidelines that would govern the export of your products or technology, your information uh, per the regulation. Well stated. You said something earlier, and that is you want to minimize risk. That's the whole point. We want to minimize risk. And how do we do that? I think what you just said is a very good recommendation for the small businesses. Have that representative internally. If you have any kind of engineering representative in the organization, they can help with the technology portion of that, right? Understanding the product. So I think well stated there, Brandy. I think that's an excellent recommendation. So these small businesses, they're finding the resources. They're maybe picking someone within the organization to act as just kind of this export compliance officer when that comes up. So now as a team, as a small business, they're trying to come up with this export compliance plan. (laughs) What are some of the main key considerations that these businesses need to have when creating their export compliance plan? Sure. So we want to get that documented, right? And I'll just highlight a few of the elements that you do want in that plan. You know, first of all, you want the management commitment, right? And from the very top, the leadership, ownership, whatever it may be, you want them to express the requirements for export controls and export compliance, model it and reinforce it. So we want to live it right? And if they're providing that leadership, it'll be easier to integrate. Now, so you want management commitment. What's the risk? So we need some risk assessment in there as well, documented on how we're going to manage that. We have to get the procedure that we're writing released and trained to. So we got to train the staff based on the management plan, export control management plan. We're going to need security and screening. So that means we got to make sure that all of our technology is secure as well as any kind of screening for visitors, as well as customers we may be shipping to, right? These are all deeper subjects, by the way. (laughs) So record keeping, very important. Make sure you have a section on record keeping. We talked about that earlier. What's the retention that we're going to do it? How we're going to save it? How are we going to retrieve it when necessary? Okay, so various things like that. Monitoring and auditing. So I'm very big on metrics and analytics and such. And I think it's very good to make sure that we have some kind of monitoring and maybe periodic auditing regarding our processes, procedures, the activity we're doing. And that's no different than anything else we do in the organization. Just apply it to your export controls as well. The last thing is, how do we handle any kind of violations that may have occurred, whether they're discovered externally through an audit? Or what if it's a self-disclosure? What if we find something? How are we going to manage that? How are we going to contain that? 
for preventing it from happening again. So I'm going to go down the list. Management commitment, risk assessment, documented, validated, and released plan, training for the teams and the organization, security screening. (laughs) There's quite a few, huh? Record keeping, monitoring, and how do we handle the violations? Should there be any? I think the development of a written compliance plan really is a foundational step for an effective export compliance program. So like we said earlier, it's really essentially a risk mitigation plan. So when I think about that, I want to make sure that everyone understands this is not a one-size-fit-all. Your expert compliance plan really should be tailored to the needs of your organization and what works for one company might not work at all for another. So I think it's important to focus at your own organization. You can always learn from others, but I think creating your own uh, for your own fit for purpose is, is really important. An ECP, I guess, an expert compliance plan can really do you know, a lot of things. It can provide safeguards throughout a company's supply chain to mm-hmm. ensure consistent export decisions, reliable order processing, and, and just really a thorough due diligence. So ensuring export compliance considerations really should be a part of your processes. So I think it's not just a plan. It also needs to leak its way into your processes as well. It really should serve as a vehicle to communicate red flag indicators uh, that raise questions about maybe the specific customer or the specific transaction. So, you know, another thing that I think is important for even employees to understand is it protects employees. So, you know, it's not something that the corporation itself needs to care about, that it does protect employees through training and awareness programs from inadvertently violating EAR or ITAR or other regulations. A lot of good points there, Randy. A lot of good points. Stop right there, folks. I'm collecting my thoughts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there was a lot said there, Brandy. So I know. I'm sorry. I'm No, but it was all good. I wish I could take notes while you were speaking. Let's go on to the next question then. Yeah, lots of good points there on on just creating this export (laughs) compliance plan, just getting people on board, making sure that we're taking care of it internally as well. So making sure it's working properly and that the steps are there and that we're not missing anything. And I know you mentioned this like top-down commitment, having the management involved. Would you say that's kind of like the one key thing companies should focus on to support proper export compliance at their company? Or would you say there's another, maybe that top key thing they should focus on? I absolutely think that management commitment is vital to ensuring that you have a good export compliance plan. Absolutely. As I mentioned, I call it EMR and that's express model and reinforce. I know I've said it once before, but still, I encourage that very much management commit to a plan And it's not just a buzzword. It's something that they will operationalize. Brandy, I think this is what you're getting to earlier. We want to operationalize what we do. We don't want this to be, oh, yeah, we have to do this or, you know, maybe a checklist or something. We want to operationalize it, make it part of our DNA. I like to think of it that way. It's just part of the fabric of the organization. It's not a second thought. It's something we do every day and something that we're aware of. Over time, as a company matures with their plan and their awareness and their training and their activities, that's where it becomes. It becomes part of the company's DNA. It does become operationalized so that it's just something we do on a regular basis regardless. So to your question, Chris, yes, management commitment is probably the most important thing. Yeah, I agree entirely. You know, and it's not just saying that they support it. it it's the actions as well in true support that runs deep. You know, management supporting the proper budget and the resources and also including these types of things in your flow down goals and objectives to your departments and your team. 
So just making sure that people find the importance of it. So I guess I also recommend job-specific training, uh, not a one-size-fits-all generic annual requirement of training. For example, like we talked about, the sales department might need to know, you know which countries have specific needs, where the shipping department may need to know of export clearance requirements, for example. So creating those unique trainings that are really people-specific job responsibilities, I think can really help a lot. I think employees need to know who their direct point of contact is when a concern arises. And really, you know, management should reward that behavior. It's essential that point of contact acts swiftly to minimize the risk to the business. Yep. I really like what you said there, Brandy, because if you think of export compliance, it can be very, very large, quite frankly, if you're new to it. And when you're saying, you know, make sure that it's functional specific, whether supply chain, whether it's logistics, engineering, the sales team, customer service, whatever it may be. There's key things that each one of those need to do. They don't need to do everything, right? There are certain actions that each one of those need to take. Your point with, let's say, the customer facing folks, you know, they're going to, there's tons of red flags that they can probably identify there, like the destination, what's their business and what are they ordering type things. There's various things we can look at there to determine from a customer service side of things what we can tailor for their procedural stuff. Agreed. Thinking about all of these aspects, my best advice is really know your product, mm-hmm. know your customers, and know your operations. You know, I think routine auditing can really help hold people accountable to doing these things because these, these things are small activities and we need to make sure that these things are actually happening throughout the process before it's too late. So internal auditing that, you know, it can reveal inconsistencies, it can reveal risks, deficiencies. I think mm-hmm. self-auditing is fantastic. It's something that anyone can do. Periodic third-party auditing can also be very useful if resources allow, just to help also the internal auditors learn some useful tactics as well. I agree with that. Almost just like any other department in the organization, right? There's auditing that occurs in many organizations internally Mm -hmm. so that we're just ensuring that we're following our own practices, our own procedures. Agreed. Agree with you 100%. So basically, getting management on board, you got to have their support. You've got to have them committed to having a change internally, having a plan put in place, finding out the information, how to do that, no matter what level of business you're at. And I know kind of IPX, you guys can potentially help companies set these up, these export compliance plans and the processes with it. Is that right? Absolutely. We can definitely help out. We can help with identifying your product, look at your current procedures or whatever plans you may have now. And we won't look for weaknesses. We'll just look for areas that we can probably improve, some gaps maybe. Maybe even look at, you know, Brandy, to your point, what organization is doing what. We can definitely help with an assessment and upgrading your plan and your procedures. Absolutely. Yeah, agreed. I think we do a lot of assessments and really that's how we figure out what problems you're trying to solve. So if you have something you know, that's very specific, you can tailor an assessment specifically to that just so we can understand deeper exactly, you know, where the gaps are and where are the strengths and how to make a plan that focuses directly on a fit for purpose solution for you. So yeah, that's no different than what we do with a lot of other aspects of our business as well. And export compliance is definitely one of them. What's very important about this question is we're not auditors. (laughs) We are assessors. So we're not going to go in there and have findings. We will identify areas that you're doing quite well, actually. We'll identify those strengths. We'll identify areas where, like I said, you can improve. And if we're not documenting ourselves, we can definitely give you guidance. I know making a much better, a robust export compliance plan. Absolutely. 
Agreed. We end up becoming almost like an employee. You know, we feel a part of their team and work alongside people to help them improve. And so creating that good relationship where they can be open and honest and know we're not auditors is really important. Sure. There's a difference. (laughs) Auditing versus assessing. Absolutely. You can even think of it as an evaluation, right? I like that because yes, I think (laughs) there is a big difference between auditing and assessing. And so it's good to make a differentiating mark between the two with what you all do at IPX. So no, this has been really good. A lot of great information and to make it a little bit more clear for those who might be now thinking, okay, I need to do export compliance because of maybe the time we're in, they started a business and now they're doing things like this and exporting and they're like, oh, okay, this needs to be done. And so Now having kind of a starting point after listening to this episode and then being able to come to IPX and get a little bit further guidance with it, I think will be really crucial. So thank you both for being on and sharing today. Before we wrap up and allow people to know how to contact you, we want to kind of end on a fun note just to get to know each of you a little bit better. So we have a good question here. Ladies first, we'll let Brandy answer first. So if you could compare yourself with any animal... Which would it be and why? And then Eddie will come to you with that same question. Oh my gosh. I'm completely unprepared for this. (laughs) You know, I'm a very energetic individual and I don't know how to rest. So I have to admit the first thing comes to mind is maybe a kangaroo. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe a monkey, you know, someone that swings (laughs) from tree to tree just because I don't know how to stop. So I guess that's where I go with it. Eddie, your turn. You know, I've never been asked a question like that. And that's a really tough question to answer, honestly, because now I got to think about all the different animals. Right. The most I'm familiar with is, is a dog, honestly. And the reason <laughs> I say that, no, well, the traits of a dog is, um, now that's kind of sounds kind of silly, but their loyalty, right? For one thing, the way they listen to instruction, typically, and follow through on orders. To me, I mean, at least with my pets. There, <laughs> I can see some process-centric stuff going on there, right? I mean, their daily activities and such. Kind of far-fetched, but I can't think of anything right now other than that. The other thing may be some kind of wildcat, a lion or a tiger, because I'm always moving forward, I guess, right? I'm always thinking ahead. I'm always trying to be ahead of the pack, be in front of any kind of thing coming around and just looking out. When I think of those wild animals, those wildcats, what is it, the top of the pride, the, you know, the king of the pride or something? Yeah. They're, out there, they're looking over things and ensuring everything's good and so forth. That's a really tough question, Chris. <laughs> you know, you know, good answers. I like those. those are, hey, those I'd are like good, to ask so. Chris that same question right back. To me, uh-oh. So I had a little time. I had a little yeah. time to think while you guys answered. So between two, I would say the first one would be a falcon or like an eagle just because – they're not the biggest animal out there, but they're still powerful in their own right. And they kind of just are able to soar and hover and see kind of the world in the big picture. And they're kind of like on their own almost somewhat. So just that kind of solitude. The second one I'd have to say was probably be like a wild horse. I just think horses are, they have like that majesticness to them, but it's like, they're so strong and so powerful, mm-hmm. especially the wild ones. And they're just out there. Obviously horsepower comes from that. So I would say those two for those reasons, for sure. Again, thank you both for just a great episode, a great bunch of information that people can take away and actually put to work and it's actionable. So um, if people do want to get connected with you both for export compliance, how can they best get in touch with you? Eddie at IPXHQ.com. Very simple to remember. Anytime I'll answer. I'll try and answer (laughs) promptly and get back to anybody that may have a question. So yeah. 
Yep. Same here. Brandy with a Y at IPXHQ.com. Also, our website has contact information and we're also all on LinkedIn. So yeah, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you guys. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you guys again for being on. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe and review the show. And for more information on IPX, visit IPXHQ.com.